What is up, everybody, and welcome into the Keeping It 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm Adam Matas. I'm joined by the star of the show or co-host of the show, whichever you prefer, George Carl. What co-host. do you think? Co-host? Co- co-host. All right. Am I the star then? This might, this might be starless. Okay. <laughs> I think that's, that's, that's more accurate. Starless. Um, we got a lot to get to. Don't forget, guys, if you have a question, you can either super chat it or, or Kale, super producer Kale is going to be monitoring the chat for your questions for coach. And at the end of the show, we're always going to get to those. But we're going to preview this Nugget Sun series. I can't wait. Second round series. And also look back. We're going to start, though, with a look back at the Portland series. We talked about that series twice, once before, once in the middle of it. But we didn't catch up after games five and six. And, you know, Denver always goes seven when they win. It always seems to take them with this group. They got it done in six. And I think one of the reasons or the main reason they got it done in six was I thought Nikola Jokic played some of the best, maybe not complete games because there were it was halves or it was moments here. But I thought when he took over, especially in game six in that second half, it was as dominant as I have seen him, at least in a 24 minute stretch. Looking back on that series, I want to ask you about Jokic first because you had some tweets that, that sound like you were pretty impressed. What did you see from him in the closeout game five and game six? Uh, I see the best player in the NBA right now. I see a guy that wills, has a, a will and a belief, and he's going to win. Yeah. And it rubs off everywhere it goes. It rubs off on the coaches. It rubs off on his role players. It rubs off on the bench. Um, you know, he has, he has his skill of making people better, making people believe, and, you know, the game, you know, he has so much different ways of controlling the game, passing the ball, rebounding the ball, his defense has become above average, maybe, maybe good at times, (laughs) Uh, and there's still the bad moments there too, but. But I mean, he, and then his ability to make the three ball. I mean, he took a three. He took a three shot, right on Nurkic, about uh, about a yard behind the line. I've never seen him do that, and it, it did nothing but net. It was a big shot too, and a big play. And you know, in the, in the last three four minutes of the game. And what was funny after game five, I, I've been in that game six where everybody thinks you're going to go home and win, and I just thought Damon. Damien in that game five was was unbelievable. I mean, he yeah. was he's godlike. I mean, he was. I mean that that game is kind of like Murray. You know, Murray had a couple right. of those games last year in the bubble that you, he might never have a game like that again in that on that stage in that place. And I just think emotionally it drains you when you don't win when you play that game. And. Uh, you know, I remember in the, when we went to the conference finals and we we lost game five and we played a really good game down in L.A. And everybody thought we were going to come home and take care of the Lakers and go back down to L.A. And we 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 kind of, you know, we came out flat in, in game mm, six. Mm. And and then I thought Damien uh, ran out of gas. Yeah. Out, and the one thing I'm a little worried about, it seems Jokic in the game five, four, five, and six in the fourth quarter, it's not that he didn't play well, but his body was looked to me a little fatigued. And we're just in the beginning of the stages of the playoffs. And that's the amazing thing about the playoffs is it's a marathon race of intense, incredibly enthusiastic and, and you know, playoff physicality and mental, mental fatigue, all that stuff. 
you got to handle the fatigue problem problem at times. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about that a little bit later on because this next series does there's one day off in between every game all the way up until game seven. So I do wonder if that's going to be a factor, but I want to keep looking back on the series. I'm, I'm with you that I thought Jokic looked fatigued, you know, the back half of that entire series. The reason I, I didn't think he did in game six in the closeout. And I think part of that, and he sort of spoke to this after the game, Michael Porter got off to an incredible start. I think, what was it? 22 points. I, I don't remember what it was. 22, something like that. 21 in the first quarter. And I thought Jokic's, body language in that first half was a little bit of a okay this buys me a quarter not to take off but just to i get to be in the background where I, he hadn't been really for this whole series he got to be in the background a little bit he picked up the fouls he goes to the bench and the story i thought in the series had been great first quarter second quarter third quarter fourth quarter he looks a little tired you know whatever i thought this one getting to take that first half a little bit lighter than usual saved him because you mentioned that three-pointer there were a couple plays before that, but that three-pointer to me was the first time I felt like Jokic said, guys, this is over. You don't know it yet, but it's over. And he just had a look in his eye with energy and aggressiveness and, and to your point, confidence to close that out. Well, my, what I'm amazed at is how he's lifting, you know, uh, you know, Morris yeah. to play at a higher level than he's ever played at before, that Austin Rivers comes in here and, Hits big shots in the last five minutes of two two games, and Monte just playing unbelievably well, and the and the little kid from Argentina, yeah, you know you, you know he's not he's not a big stat guy, but he is a starting point guard in an NBA playoff game, and do you want him to play better? Yeah, but are you accepting what he's giving you? Hell yeah, you're accepting what he's giving you, and I. I you know, we were, I was talking with some coaches on over the weekend about the matchup with Chris Paul. And some guys think Chris Paul is going to dominate him. And in my mind, there's something about that kid that <laughs> he doesn't get dominated. <laughs> yeah. He might not well, play well. He might not have a great stats. But the way he plays is the right way. And he plays every possession with such an energy that it's contagious. And everybody likes being around him. You mentioned, you know, how I, you actually mentioned this, I think, off air afterwards. We were talking about the low man in help and how Portland kept putting him, uh, Marcus Morris, uh, Monte or Marcus Howard, Monte Morris. They put little guys in the help. And to, if you're going to succeed at doing that, you really have to rotate hard and get as far out of the paint to stop the short, the roller. In this case, it was Nurkic. And I thought that was one thing Faku almost never messes up. When he sees that pick and roll and the roll guy going full sprint, 20 feet to get outside the paint and make Nurkic catch it 15 feet instead of eight feet from the basket. Well, in game four, the, the, the outcome with Portland being successful was the roll guy in yep. the pick and roll game. I thought I had him charted for like 20 points yeah. on the on the guy on finding the window in, in the pick and roll game. Uh, and, and Portland didn't find that in game five and game six. And I don't know if it was a defensive adjustment or, or a Portland went away from the, the play call at times. So, uh, no, I, I just I admire how the coaching staff and Jokic got to be given a lot of credit to get to trust these guys and give them the energy and confidence and support that allows them to play on this stage when a lot of NBA people don't expect them to play yeah. well on this stage. What about Michael Porter? 
I mean, he's obviously a, a big piece. What did you see from him throughout this year? We talked a little bit about it early on, but if you now step back and look at all six games of that, scored better, 26 points in each of the last two games, what did, how would you grade his performance in that first round? I'm, I'm still very much in the stage of, I think you want to you force Michael Porter Jr. to be in a star. And it's a process. And he's, yeah. he's and the process is he's he had a hell of a first quarter and a bad three quarters. Right, yep. And and that that you know, highs and lows is not a star player. A star player is solid to good and at times great. Right. And they don't go below solid. And Michael Porter Jr. goes below solid yeah. way too often for me to, to say he's a star yet. But you got to be happy as hell. I mean, he showed he showed courage. He showed a, a confidence to come out in a big game and be the best player on the court for an extended period of time and give his team a hell of an opportunity on the road on, in a difficult building. I love that you used the word courage because this is the second time you've now used that on the show. The last time you used it was when I asked you what are the Nuggets going to miss most about Jamal Murray and you said his courage. And in particular, his courage in the fourth. And I think and it's funny because I always think about these things in basketball terms, but you're right. Just a guy that that says, you know what, our backs are against the wall. This doesn't look good. Everybody's eyes are on me, whatever. Don't care. Like, no, no fear. And the Nuggets do have some of those guys. And I think your point about Michael Porter in that game, and especially in game five, I think, you know, all eyes were on him. He had three points in game four. He had been going down, trending down, and he stepped up with some courage, albeit inconsistently, but he stepped up with some courage and... and at moments and those moments really mattered and it's just funny because i think courage is a weird way but a great way to put it we always say clutch i think it's actually courage to put yourself in position to be clutch well i mean it i'm just going to tell you i mean there are a lot of players and i'm probably on this list along with them that can play basketball in the regular season and a lot of players can play basketball mm. for 40 minutes but not play basketball the last eight minutes of a game but the great players, the, 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 the money players, like the end of the game much more than they like the beginning of the game. They like that moment, that stage. They get lifted. Their confidence goes up. It doesn't matter how they played the whole game. They, they have the courage of the cojones yeah. to go out there and say, give me the ball. I'll take, I'll take the responsibility. I'm not trying to give Porter a sign him that he now has playoff courage or this or that. I just there were little moments in there where you really question like, hey man, spotlight's on you. And I thought at least early in both game five and game six he showed that. And then of course game five he had it was one of the best passes I'd ever seen from Jokic to the corner that just lifts over the outstretched hands of Covington. Actually made Covington fall down. But Porter had to finish that play, and that was a, sort of a big a first big first moment. Like let's see how you do under pressure, and and he stepped up with it. So. I'm encouraged by his process of gaining courage in the playoffs. Is that fair? Well, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to applaud all the stuff that's happening for the Denver Nuggets because fans should understand that, you know, they're, they're doing more than they probably are capable of doing. I Hopefully it'll continue. You know, my, my NBA side of playoff basketball is – I think we should eliminate the first round, okay? Because the first round is is there, there's a there's a lot of things that happen in the first round. Everybody gets excited about, it, but very seldom does it ever 
not the truth comes out yeah the truth comes out in the first round the upsets happen more so in this round and the magic of who's going to win a championship happens starting in this round were there any surprises in the first round for you as you look around the league was there anybody that you thought hmm not just denver i'm talking about around the nba that you were like wow they surprised <clears throat> me on this one i was a little disappointed i thought i thought dallas would get through you did Clippers. i, I did. interesting um is that more because of your faith in dallas or distrust uh, in the clippers I didn't see I didn't see the Leonard I didn't see Kawhi Leonard doing what he he was I, fantastic. I, I mean, what he did in the last three games. Now now we know what what a great player is. Right. I mean, for him to do what he did in Game Six and then come back and then of course in Game Seven. And Dallas probably needs one more. Definitely do. One more talented player, maybe two. Uh, but I just thought I thought there was a there was a a magic to Luca a little bit that was going to carry them to an upset of of, of L.A. And I, I just don't like how L.A. Clippers has played all year round. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, there are people that are probably predicting they're going to win it now. And I'm not there. I don't think you can play inconsistent basketball and mess with the game of basketball as much as they did. And, they, and I believe there's a karma to the game of basketball. <laughs> I hope there is. And the karma... The Clipper karma right now, you know, the most, the wealthiest owner in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff that I'm going, come on, man. I feel the same way with Brooklyn. I mean, I look at it and I go, okay, you got the Clippers and you got Brooklyn and they've, you know, they came about the way that they did. Outside of that, you've got Utah. They did this the hard way, in my opinion. You've got Phoenix. They did it the hard way. You've got Denver, obviously. You've got Milwaukee. You've got Atlanta. You've got the 76ers who did the tanking, you know, but they've also kind of been a process step by step. So I look at it at least and I say, there's a lot of teams that have done the slow build to get where they are. Then there's two teams that did the quick, you know, the kind of quick reset. But I, I'm hopeful because I think it's good for the NBA if a team succeeds doing it the slow, hard way, which for a lot of organizations is the only way, only option they have. Well, I'm going to tell you, I just watched the games last night with Philly and Atlanta. Atlanta. I love them. They're my, they're Philadelphia my... better. Philadelphia better be careful, because not only they might lose, they might get beat. <laughs> they might get beat quick. I'm Talk just, about courage. But, but you have Embiid. The best player in the court is Embiid, yeah. and he has no chance yeah. of winning that game if Atlanta doesn't throw the ball away like a bunch of high school right. kids in the last five minutes. Of the yeah, game. they collapsed. But. I mean, Atlanta dominates them in many ways. Not only not only at the point guard position, but their perimeter guys played better than their perimeter guys played. And you know, I know Embiid at 39, but I didn't feel he was a force. Right. It reminded me when I coached Cousins in, in Sacramento, and I said to my coach. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, moving along here. You were talking about the Atlanta Hawks here, and, and you know we were talking about their courage and just how they've assembled this team. But you were going to make a point about their front office. Well, you know Atlanta was was a pretty damn good basketball team about four years ago, five years ago, and it looked like they were totally and completely falling apart. They draft Trey Young, which a lot of people are going, what the hell are they doing? It's true. Yep, myself included. And uh, and I've never been a fan of Trey Young. And and I want you to know, I, 
I'm starting to be a fan. Me too. I apologize. I was wrong about this one. I love the dude. But the pieces they've assembled are smart smart decisions. They have some veteran guys. They and but they they've kind of taken I think the blueprint of the Golden State Warriors of Steph Curry, and that and they're saying Trey Young's our Steph Curry, and we're going to put balanced six eight maybe shooting guys athletic defenders that can play a little defense and they go out and get a a, no, a low maintenance center yeah and capella who really good of that type of center he's very good man and, uh, no he's a top five center if you're going to play the way they're playing right and um and they're young as hell and their window of being good is uh long is pretty damn good unless their salary structure gets all goofy and and uh, even though they don't play with that, maybe the, the physical defensive mentality that I would maybe want them to play at, but they have some really good young players that if they can keep in Atlanta for about three or four more years, they're going to be dangerous. Yeah. I like them. Like I said, they're my side piece team. But my other side piece team out west, my, other, my second favorite non-Nuggets team to watch this year was the Phoenix Suns. That's unfortunate because that's who Denver has matched up with here. And the reason I like them, and it's funny, Jokic has been heaping praise on them too. You get the sense that there's a lot of guys on that roster. Maybe he would enjoy playing with a Mikhail Bridges, very smart player that's unselfish and stays in his lane and, and, and does the things that I think, in my opinion, the right way. Obviously, Chris Paul, a fantastic point guard. They've got no shortage of those guys. One thing, I, the first question I want to ask you, though, I have the, this theory. It's not that I believe it. It's, I wanted to ask you about this. Denver just played Portland, two dynamic guards, could both shoot, you know, the three. And now they're going over to Portland. Now it's a different team. We're going to talk about those differences, but it's somewhat similar. Phoenix just played the Lakers, and now they're going to Denver, who I think there's nothing in common between those two teams. They're, they're quite different. Do you think there's any advantage to Denver maybe, you know, sharpening the, the weapons a little bit coming in, going with Portland, now going against the Phoenix team? Is there anything that translates and maybe gives them an edge? Versus Phoenix, who, who doesn't have that familiarity? You know, I, I wouldn't, th- as a coach, I never thought that way. I just thought, I just said, hey, we win for we win the first round, let's celebrate for one day, and then let's clean up the boards and start from scratch. And don't try to compare notes. Because, uh, mm. you know, the, the emotions of the playoff series and the outcome of it comes in way, way different packages, so many different ways. One thing that I think that is a negative input, but I, I, I think I got to say it early and we got to realize it. Portland is a bad defensive team. One of the worst. And Phoenix is one of the best. And Chris Paul and, and, and I think Jokic in a lot of ways is the best right now in making other guys better and, and making their team ex, ex, you know, expand their ability to be good. But Chris Paul, Chris Paul's on that list. I don't know if he's second or third or where LeBron is. But Chris Paul, you know, he goes wherever he goes, he wins. But he hasn't won big. And unfortunately, I get nervous about this might be the year that the karma of what he's doing with Monte Williams and being, being reunited with a coach right. that he played well for in New Orleans. They go to Phoenix, a team that did nothing for what eight nine years right and then they blew up in the bubble last year 
And everybody says, ah, that'll go away. Well, guess what? Chris Paul has gone down there. It's not gone around, away. And I think this is going to be a very, a very even series. And Chris Paul and his mentality of how he plays the game is going to be very important for Portland. I mean, for, for the Phoenix Suns. Stats probably won't have a big factor in it. But, you know, he, I mean, I think. We're sorry. You have reached a number that has been disconnected or is no longer in service. If you feel you've reached this recording in error, please check the number and try your call again. Um, all right, so just to kind of catch up on the last question here before the stream died on us again, and everybody that's watching, thanks for hanging with us. Wi-Fi problems here at the DNVR bar. We don't run into these too often, but unfortunately out of our hands. We look at Chris Paul, and you were talking about the impact he had, and I think you're talking similar to Jokic. Early on, you said how he elevates everybody's confidence and comfort, and this is why guys tend to play above their averages you know, when they're playing alongside him. Chris Paul, I think, very much the same. But if he's hurt, and I mean meaningfully hurt, not just banged up and has to fight through you know, bumps and bruises, but if he is less than, you know, if he's limited by some of these injuries, how much does that affect who they are? I don't, think, I don't think we know that answer. I think we know that what I've seen in the, in the, uh, the evolution of the Suns is Chris Paul's mental toughness on Booker. Yeah. I thought Booker for his first two or three years in the league, talented as hell, great jump shooter. I didn't like him. Yeah. I thought he was right. goofy. I thought he was superficial. I thought he was too cool. I don't see the same guy this year. I see, point. I see a different player, a different mentality, and a different face. And all those things are coming out on this stage, and that's, I think, a danger zone. Like everybody says, well, you know, you know, we figured out how to beat McCollum and, and, and Lillard. These two guys are a little different. They're, they're, I think Lillard and McCollum kind of play to the three ball and the scoring and putting a big number up. Booker and Paul play to one reason, win the, win the mm, basketball game. Interesting. And the competitive nature of this team, and Monty Williams has got to be given a little credit for it. I mean, for years I thought Phoenix was too finesse, too cute, too pretty. This team is not that way. I mean, they got a couple wing guys that play hard that play really good defense, play kind of smart basketball. And the big kid in the middle, don't take, don't say Jokic is going to dominate him. Just remember this kid is coming and he'll probably have ups and downs and Jokic will probably win the battle, but it's not going to be an easy matchup. The thing I would try, I mean, I don't do this very often in coaching basketball. I don't go after guys to get them in foul trouble because I think their backup is bad. I think if they have to go to Kaminsky or go little on Jokic is where you want to go. So I'm, I'm not saying I would, I would go out of my way to try to get him in foul trouble. But if, he, got, if he, he would get one early, I would definitely go out of my way then. So he's gotten, I think, fouled out once, gotten five fouls twice against Jokic over eight matchups or something like that. That's, I don't know how indicative that is. Nurkic in that series, Jokic drew a lot of fouls on him, but Nurkic also picked up just, I thought, dumb foul. Every game he had two dumb fouls that just happened, not even on Jokic, just doing something dumb. He fouled out of the game being dumb. He did foul out of the game being dumb. Um, Oh, my God. I'm so impressed with Aiton, and here's my theory on DeAndre Aiton. 
Jokic in DeAndre Ayton's second ever game as a rookie, Jokic gave him a 35 point triple double, 11 for 11 from the field. A perfect, no misses triple double. And I think DeAndre Ayton, something happened to him in that game where he kind of said, you know what, this vision I want to be as a player, I'm actually changing it. This is the guy I want to be. I think DeAndre Ayton is the first disciple of Jokic, meaning a player who had came into into the league and everybody said he's Dwight Howard with a jumper and he's this or that. He, they put these things on him. I think he's evolving into a smart, controlled, you know, under control, uh, high efficiency player. And I wonder how much of that maybe he takes from Jokic is the guy when I came in I felt helpless against. That's the guy I'm going for, not Carl Anthony Towns or you know any of the DeMarcus Cousins. Last year, I thought he was confusing. He tried to be more of a scorer. Um, I think he's trying to be a great Capella now. I mean, he plays a little bit. Uh, he's a role guy. He loves offensive rebounding. He likes to get easy baskets. He doesn't want to play make hard baskets. Right. So many big guys that drive coaches crazy are the ones that want the touch. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you have a possession that's ugly. What do they, they do now? <laughs> they want to touch, and they, they they make the game uglier as the game goes on. And I, I'm I'm a I think Monty again. I think Monty Williams and Paul's influence. I see it in him. You know, you can see almost that when when he makes a mistake, he knows he already made right, a mistake right. before. He doesn't have to be told he made a mistake. He knows he made a mistake. It's thoughtfulness, and I think that's the thing with Jokic when you watch. Jokic play, it's very clear that he plays the game thoughtfully. And a lot of bigs in particular don't. It's a visceral, it's a, you know, going to try to dunk, I'm going to try to be aggressive. And I love that he brought up so many bigs want to make the spectacular play because I do think that's one of the biggest problems that bigs have is I want that post-up because I'm going to do the shimmy and I'm going to do this. And it's like, man, sometimes the best thing you do is just roll hard or play the dunker. I know player, I remember, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Kwame Brown. That somebody said he's so good in the dunker, he hates playing it. Almost you have to like really convince him to go down there and play the dunker. And it's like, hey, this is where you average 15 points a game on five shots, you know, because you keep getting fouled. Um, and Aiton, I think, has either he had this. I'm not trying to credit Jokic for Aiton's success. But, you know, it seems like he has adopted that mentality of being a f- more thoughtful player, not just a athletic and gifted player. And that's why I'm impressed with him. Well, Jokic is so simple and so efficient and so so basic and fundamental, and you can't speed him up. You can, you know, he's he's had a, a more turnover personality this year than ever before. But up until this year, his personality of turnovers was unbelievably good for a man that handles the ball as much as he handles the ball. Yeah. Um. So in that matchup, what is the key? How does Jokic win that one? Because I agree that it's going to be tough. In the regular season, they posted Jokic up because a lot of their base offenses pick and roll into a post up. In the Portland series, they started getting Denver on the mo- or Jokic on the move a little bit more. I thought playing him out, attacking, facing up. I'm curious if he's going to do that against Aiton. But what is the key for Jokic to to really make it hard on Aiton in this one? I'm I I have all the confidence in the world. It's just <laughs> Jokic will figure that out for us. I mean, it's funny. I think Jokic's preference would be a little bit in, in the paint, a little bit on the low block, but more he wants to be the orchestrator. He wants to be yeah. the conductor. And so that means more handoffs and pick and rolls and being the, tra- the trail guy in transition and and picking them apart that way. But I, I think you you got to realize that I'm pretty sure this is going to be more of a defensive-minded series than an offensive-minded series. 
I think we'll have maybe one, maybe two games that could go 120 or 115, 120, 125. But I think you're going to see most of the games be around 110, maybe even lower. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I'm curious with Phoenix because after the All-Star break, they were actually a bottom 10 defense. And I don't know how much of that has to do with that's a smaller sample set. On the year, yeah, top six, seven, something like that. You're messing with stats, man. You're messing with stats. That's all I needed to hear. I wonder this all the time. And actually, when I talk to stats people, they tell me the same thing. But, you know, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think they faded a little bit. And that could be because they're young. Mm. And, you know, and, and they, they, they could have faded also because they got complacent. Mm. You know, they, they kind of had the second, third place taken care of maybe six weeks ago. You know, before, I mean, they had to win games, but they didn't have to win a big number of games to sustain getting second place in the conference. Third and fourth seeds were fading, and they stayed, they sustained the second seed, and they might have done it playing bad defense every once in a while. And they, 72 games, 82 game season is a long time to be right. demanding defensively. Yeah. It's a great point. I know somebody told me one time, Denver, this was this was earlier in the season, Denver can be a good defensive team when they play as hard as they can, but no team can do that for 72 games. Like You have to kind of pick your spots, and good defensive teams find a way to be good at 50% as much as they are at 100% fourth-quarter defense. Fourth-quarter defense, I think, is, is where I think – we've seen Denver for two years now be a great fourth-quarter, not maybe – maybe one of the top five fourth-quarter mm. teams in the NBA. And this year, they might be number one. Really? I mean, if Murray was playing, I'd say they are number one. But, I mean, uh, and now with the with the kind of the injuries, they've had to be a little bit more defensive-minded yeah. in the fourth quarter. Well, you were mentioning Kawhi Leonard earlier, and part of how he closed out the series was becoming a two-way player again. He's always good defensively in his spots, but I, I just thought – Offensively, he didn't miss, and he was dominant. But defensively, he was too. And I thought part of what, why they won that one was shutting Luca down in the fourth. And a lot of that had to do with just how great he was on ball there. But it's similar, I think, with Jokic. Sometimes he looks really bad defensively in quarters one and two. And I think what player has to carry the offensive load he had? I think he picks his spots. The man is, I mean, he might be a better defensive player than offensive player. That's how good he is when he puts his mind to defense. Who's this? Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. when he puts his mind to taking someone out of the game, I mean, it's, the guy's going to shoot a low percentage. He's going to be he's going to be somewhat intimidated. And, and I, the only thing I can tell you, the most intimidating thing in the game of basketball is when you can't score. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, who's the X factor in this series? Portland-Denver or Phoenix-Denver. For De- let's go to stay on Denver's side for now. The X factor for Denver. Well, I, I think I think I I'm going to throw out Coach Malone. Oh wow! I, I think Coach Malone has got to keep finding the magic. You know, the Porter first quarter, the Mo- Monte Morris second quarter, and right. Austin Rivers in the fourth quarter. I don't know what he's doing right or how the confidence in that huddle, and I know a lot of it's Jokic, uh, but. I don't think you're going to be able to say that Porter Jr. is going to be able to play five good games in this series. Okay. If you get maybe three, you probably should be happy. Okay. Can Austin Rivers throw in one or two? Mm. And, you know, uh, the green kid wins in game seven. His offensive rebounding, in a lot of ways, was on that list of why they won that basketball game. And it's, it's a puzzle for Malone right now. 
He doesn't know exactly who's going to perform other than he's confident he's going to go in that game and he's going to find the right guys. Well, it's going to be harder because the team is, he's playing is going to be better and they're probably going to be a little more prepared, a little more confident, more uh, – and the one thing, as I said earlier in the show, this is, this is, this is it's not a bad defensive team. It might not be a top-five defensive team like it was statistically – but it can be a really good defensive team. Um, how tempted would you be? I'm going backwards here because you brought up Jermichael Green closing out that series, and you're right. That was one of the reasons they were able to do it. Portland had 14 points in the fourth quarter of game six, the closeout game, and the offensive rebounds, giving second-chance points, not letting Portland even get opportunities, not giving Damian Lillard opportunities to make you know some heroic shots was big. How tempted are you? Because that lineup makes sense to me. Michael Porter, sometimes he's great. Sometimes he disappears offensively. Defensively, he's always up and down, you know, always makes mistakes. Jermichael Green's a solid guy. How tempted would you be to try to close games with Jermichael Green based on what you saw in game six? Or do you feel like that was a one-off? You're not going to go back to that well in another a new round. I, I, if I was advising Coach Malone, I'd, I'd, I'd let him keep doing what he's doing. He's pushing the tri he's pushing the buttons, right. and you know, putting Porter Jr. on the end of, at the end of the bench, he'll he'll get he'll get over that. Yeah. And you know, most of the time when you're in the playoffs, you talk about hey, there's no ego in the game now. You know, we can moan and groan about minutes and shot selection and and how much, who's running what play for who during the regular season but now you just gotta trust and right. believe and and cheerlead each other on to be as good as you can be and it sounds like michael porter was in on it even telling coach you know hey leave him in he's doing great that unit's doing great leave him in and to me that's 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 a great credit to the culture if, if a player could do that now a player probably doesn't feel that way game after game after game but for one game and you close out everybody feels great uh everybody feels good about it the Keeping It 1000 podcast is presented with limited commercial interruption thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app and my personal favorite sportsbook. I love using it because it's easy to navigate. It's a lot of fun. And they've got great odds boosts almost every single day. That's how I make my money. I'm like 50-50 on odds boosts. I'm 100% roughly on odds boosts. And that's why I'm up over 1000 bucks. DraftKings, they're putting you courtside. You bet $1 right now when you sign up. Bet $1 to win $100 in site credits when you pick any basketball team to win. You can pick the heaviest favorite if you want. If they win, your $1 turns into $100 all in site credits. They're safe, secure, reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And I'm telling you, I think Jokic wins his MVP this Friday, which means I win a bunch of money, a boatload of money. I know Eric wins a boatload of money. Harrison wins a boatload of money. You're going to want to be at the DNVR bar on Friday when we all make cop uh, copious amounts of money and are drunk enough with power that we are going to spend all of it, every single last penny at the DNVR bar. I can't wait for that one. Um, and that's, of course, all thanks to DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. New customers only, wager paid, and site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-522. Four seven zero zero. What about on Phoenix side? Who's the X factor for Phoenix? Not Booker, not Eight, and not Chris Paul. I've got, I'll, I've got, I'll tell you mine. Cameron Payne. He was great in those closeout games, and I don't like. I've never been a Cameron Payne believer. He's kind of been a point guard that's always bugged me a little bit, but he was great. Well, I'm gonna say, I like. Well, it's funny, when I was in Sacramento, we loved Cameron Payne. Mm. We loved him. We wanted, we actually were drafted nine, and I was 
you know, my my guys wanted to move up and get him, and or if we no, we were we were drafting six, and our our roster was depleted. We needed more players, so we were mo- thinking about moving back. Oh, okay. Trading six and getting maybe Two guys, yeah. getting nine and someone else, yeah, or nine and someone else in a second. Um, and the organization didn't want to make that move. They wanted to stay at six. But we, we really, Cameron Payne was one of the guys that we thought was going to be a player, and he flopped. Yeah, it took him a, I mean, he's I mean, just now starting to blossom. Yeah, I mean, I mean he, he, didn't, he didn't make it with two or three teams. Right. Didn't think he could play. And I think Phoenix has given them the confidence. I think the three ball and Bridges and Cameron Payne and maybe one other, another guy coming off their bench. I, I still know the thing that's knocking me out almost every day in the playoffs right now is the team that blows up the three ball has a huge advantage on winning the basketball game. It's so predictive. I mean, it really is when you look at it. I, the one thing, because I, I see some people say the game has gotten boring to analyze because you just look at the three-pointers and you say, well, they made more threes, they won. This, they made more threes, they won. The one thing I'll say about that is how teams generate them matters. And, you know, Phoenix is, I think, number one in the NBA, one, one or two in generating yeah. corner three-point shots, and they're number one, I believe, in assists. And assisted corner three-pointers, that's the best three-point shot you can get. And Denver's not necessarily great at defending the three-point line. So to me, that that's a battleground that, in against Portland, Denver really struggled whenever the ball got popping for, for Portland and four or five passes, swing around the horn, find the guy in the corner, and he knocks it down. Phoenix is really good at that, and that's the thing that scares me. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, and the other thing I think, I think Denver's got to be aware of is don't, don't turn it into a jump-shooting game. Right. Because Phoenix, that's their forte. They're, they're, they, they shoot a lot of jump shots. When you got a Booker and they got all these other, the, the, the perimeter three, Chris Paul is an expert <laughs> at finding. So don't, don't try to outshoot this team as much as if the paint is there, go there first, be dominant there, and be dominant at the free throw line, and, and try to keep your turnovers down. Yeah. This series, the last one we talked about, Jokic being exhausted. This one is every other game. One, two, three, four, five, six. There's three days off between game six and seven, should there be one. And I like that because, to me, that means you get both teams rested and healthy and like, okay, let's see who's going to win. If Denver played Portland, by the way, 36 hours in between games and they would have played an afternoon game seven off of a day and a half rest. And I just thought, man, that's a, the ultimate flip a coin, see what happens. But this one, three days rest if you go into that one. But... What do you feel like the fatigue factor will be? Chris Paul, like Jokic, likes to play slow. Get in the half court, execute, do this or that. So it might be a slow-paced game. There's no Nurkic to really have to wrestle with. As good as Aiton is, physically it's less tiring, a guy 30 pounds lighter. What do you, what, how will the every-other-day schedule affect the Nuggets, but in particular affect Jokic? I think it's going to be the mental fatigue, the stress of it. Mm. Uh, you know, you got two games out here on the road. Can, and can can Denver get one and then flip the stress factor on Phoenix's side? You know, if you lose the first two, the stress factor goes on Denver's side and the confidence goes on Phoenix's side. So I've always felt the first two games have a lot of psychological, mental weight uh, and maybe a little bit more than the... Once you get into the, the pendulum swinging back and forth, you got to play that game. But you... 
the great teams or like the Michael Jordan teams, very seldom do they ever get in the stress games. <laughs> they get late. They, they get once, in the game. I think, but they once went to the game seven with Indiana. Right. I think that's the one time I remember where it got really the pendulum swung back and forth and back and forth. Um, because I think in, a, in some ways, both teams are somewhat inexperienced. But they also have young, they have a, a veteran guy in Chris Paul that has been there before. And I, I don't care what you say, Jokic might be a young player, but he, he's an old guy. <laughs> he's an old player. He is an old player. He does have an old old soul even to him. Um, we have questions coming in, Kale. Okay, first of all, I just want to ask you, I know we don't always do predictions, but just how are you feeling, whether you want to give a games and a prediction or if you just want to say your general sense of this series and how you think it'll go. You know, I don't like predictions now. I would like to make the prediction after tonight's game. I'd be a lot more confident. I think Phoenix has a lot of advantages, but they don't have Jokic. And so my gut says, if the game if the game goes the where it doesn't get goofy and crazy one way or the other, I, I like Jokic figuring it out, and I like Malone pushing the buttons. And I would probably like to get it done in six. Mm, at I, home yeah I'd like to do it at home hopefully the, the, the building will be hotter and more crazy and so that, that basically is saying getting one of these first two games is really imperative Nuggets fans have been great at, in this playoffs already like when you're watching the broadcast and I of course go back and watch all the games the Denver crowd is loud you can tell when a crowd is loud and into it when they're not and I thought the Denver crowd has, has brought it so I'm kind of you know of course I'm going to be proud of my own people but uh, I feel like they've done a good job yeah Still gotta be asterisks at the bubble and the oh. money in the building, man. Well, you know what's funny about it? Somebody, let's put a, let's get the building where it's really crazy. Well, every, here, every night. So somebody told me the building's actually louder with fewer fans in it because bodies, Echoes. body, yeah, bodies absorb sound and like empty chairs reflect right. it. So I don't. But you are right. Getting that place full, it's even more intimidating. And we're there. I think we're there now with the second round. That was the thing. Is the second round now gets to fill up? My. Um, before we get to the questions, this is one thing I've been thinking about. And I apologize to the people that listen to the pod, the other pods that I'm on, or radio. I did a bunch of radio today. And I said all the same thing. But I, the more I think about it, the more I kind of believe it. Jokic has now been – Jokic in the Nuggets. I don't want it to give it all to Jokic, but I think he gets the lion's share of this. Been in the playoffs now three years in a row, six playoffs. He's lost two of them. One of them was a game seven to Portland. And outside of him in that game, the Nuggets were, I think, 0-19 from the three-point line. <laughs> they make one three-pointer. They beat Portland – you know, two years ago and go to the Western Conference Finals. They lose last year to LeBron James. They eventually go on to win the title. Every other one, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, come back. Uh, D- Donovan Mitchell, two 50-point games, two 40-point games, not enough. You got Damian Lillard, 55-point game, this or that, not enough. I think there's enough evidence now to say beating Jokic is really hard and a lot harder than people think. So when I look at this series, can Phoenix do it? Yes, with, I'm with you. They have a better team. They have more complete pieces, this or that. But history tells us that beating Jokic takes more than a heroic effort because we've seen heroic efforts fall short. Well, and I, what, I like, what I like about this series, I think there's going to be more process of how to win a championship. Mm. You know, I, I, I've always believed that the magic of winning it right now, do you want to bet on who's going to win the NBA championship no, right no, now? No, it's open. Nobody wants to bet on it right now because I don't think anybody has the magic. And it kind of reminds me of the year Toronto wins it. Everybody was, was right. looking at Milwaukee. Everybody was looking at Golden State. Everybody was looking away. And Toronto 
beats Milwaukee. All of a sudden, they get a little cocky. I think they they had a tough series before Milwaukee that gave them, you know, kind of made them grow Game up a little series bit. Series winner bounces on the rim right. a couple times and That's drops it. in. Yeah. yeah, and so I'm just saying, these next two to three weeks, I think you're going to have a better feel for who has the guts Man, what insight. and the connection to go win it. And uh, I've always felt this is the best basketball in the world right now. These eight teams. And the, and the matchups, it's the best basketball. In the world. I love it. Hopefully, Denver really comes together and, and, like you said, elevates confidence and everything else. I think you learn a lot about yourself in the playoffs and as a team collectively about yourself in the playoffs. And, you know, we'll see which team rises to that. And let me throw one thing out there because I, I think this game, this series, and the Philadelphia series is telling me, as a study, a student of the game of basketball, is where the game is going. Okay. Because I think Philadelphia has Embiid, and everybody says he's an MVP candidate, and we have Yo- and Denver has Jokic. And if the big guy, if you're going to play a big guy and he's going to be a dominant player, I think he's got much more like Jokic than he's going to be like Embiid. He just made everybody happy. Everybody in the chat's popping right now. I'm sure we just got super chatted. Everybody's feeling so good, man. But I, I look, I, I've, I think so too. That's the thing about Jokic is. This is why Denver has gone seven, and I just feel like he gets better as it goes on. Is because there's so many. He has so many. The, his bag of tricks is an endless bag, and he just has to keep. Sometimes it takes a while to find which one's going to work, but there's just some. He just seems to have something for everybody. Whatever you court, back him into a corner, he has a way out of it. And I'm, I, I just, I can't say enough things about the guy. Let's go to the comments here, Kale. What do we have before we get out of here? Yeah, just four or five today so far. Okay. Oh, I'm way too loud. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Here's coming in. Can Coach and Adam give us a little bit of a comparison between the Nuggets and Suns benches? Well, I will say that the Phoenix Suns had the number one bench in the regular season a very, the, from plus minus. I mean, they outscored when they were on the court, they outscored. So unlike Portland, which was a very one-sided bench, they had a great offense and a horrible defensive bench. Portland much more, I think, versatile, well-rounded, and, and won those minutes. What do you think, Coach? Uh, I think I think Denver's done a good job with their bench, even though and Monte Morris right now is playing with as much confidence as I've ever seen him play. Um, the Green Kid got gave him some rebounding along the way, and I'll be honest with you, I, I wouldn't be surprised by a Barton or someone coming mm. back that we don't know who that is, and and Coach Malone has enough courage to play that guy. Yeah. So I think it's going to be more of a Game to game, you're going to say, well, well, you know, we got beat on the bench. Portland was awful off the bench. You know, they got a, a game one, they win with uh, their bench playing great. But after that, it fell apart. Yeah. And actually, sure. it was a negative, a negative energy for them. Absolutely. All right. What else, Kel? Similar line. Uh, who's a bigger X factor for their team, Bridges or Monte Morris? Ooh. Interesting. I think Bridges is more of a glue guy and a defensive guy and a steel guy and a disruptive guy that can make the three and can have a hot night from the three ball. As where Monte Morris, I think we need him to score points. And that, again, I don't know the defensive matchup, but I know Phoenix has some guys that can be mad dogs at the defensive end of the court. And that, that, if I was coaching against Denver right now, I'd be putting a good, de- a good defender on Monte Morris. 
One of the reasons that I wondered about the Portland versus Phoenix, like does Denver get to keep some things with them, was specifically this. Because I thought game five and six, one of the reasons Denver succeeded, especially in the fourth quarter, was Jokic turns into Dirk Nowitzki in the playoffs or whatever reason, he shoots 42% from three. Nurkic trying to freeze that pick-and-roll player and then jump out at Jokic to take away the three-pointer. Monte Morris just did a great job of hesitating and then getting to the basket once Nurkic jumped up. And I think Aiton, one thing I knock him for a little bit defensively is I don't think he's as good outside the paint as he is inside defending. And I wonder if Monte, that same thing, like he's very good at that. Are you going to jump out at him or are you going to guard me? You stay on me, kick it back, open three-pointer. You jump out, I has I froze you and I get to the basket. And I... That's the one thing that I think maybe Monte can really have an impact on this series because he was so good in games five and six with that. Well, I think what, what, I, what I see in, in all through the series against Portland was Monte Morris was a poor man's or a decent man's <laughs> wow. Jamal Murray. I knew where you were going, yeah. I mean, the handbacks and, yeah. and the tricks and the back doors. And yeah. they, they were getting it in every game, you know. They, yeah. were, getting a, they were getting cute. And I want you to know, getting cute in a playoff game is hard. <laughs> <laughs> and they were getting cute in playoff games. As Barton, I, I wonder, too, if he comes back. There's a lot of reasons to be nervous. But, look, Monte Morris and Jokic have been together four years. Well, Barton and Jokic have been together six years. That's The cute stuff, that comes from how many times have they run pick and roll together? I mean, thousands of times. So I, that's and, where one hope for Barton if he does come back. And an extra possession and an easy possession in a big-time situation is a very yeah. big reward in the game of basketball. Yeah. What else? All right. What was the game day atmosphere like in the locker room? Were there a lot of nerves before the tip-off, or Ooh. was everything pretty calm? Did you hear him there? Yeah. Um, I didn't like. I didn't like an in, intense locker room. I liked it to be loose. I mean, I, we actually at one time. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I coached. Where was I coaching? I forget where I was, but I had a, a chiropractor and a psychologist kind of guy. And we started burning incense <laughs> you went, in our locker room before <laughs> playoff games, because he said it relaxed you. Yeah. And I remember Stern walked in to our locker room, and he looked at what the hell's that? You know, because he thought it was not. He didn't think it was incense. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know, that's a Kyrie Irving style. You know, it's a, it sounds like the, yeah. that's how he is. He's a big incense guy now. So who yeah. knows? What what else we got, Kel? All right. Coach Carl, do you have any trash talk about the Suns you want to share? <laughs> any trash talk, huh? Oh, you know, I had a lot of battles with uh, Phoenix uh, when Gary Payton and Kevin yeah. Johnson. And Kevin Johnson and Gary Payton got in really a lot of battles. I lost the Game 7 to the Western yeah. Conference Finals to Charles Barkley and Kevin Johnson. That was an all-timer of the 90s, that, that series. Yeah, that was really one of, my, one of my favorite series. And by the way, Phoenix shot 64 free throws in that game. So. <laughs> um, um, I always thought, you know, like when, that, when Nash was uh, in Phoenix, I, I, got, I probably got more technical fouls called and when Steve Nash was being kissed by all the referees. Mm. And I, I just remember that Nash had this love affair going on that I want as a point guard and a defensive point guard, I wanted to trip him or <laughs> take a charge on him or throw him on the ground and all that stuff. So those are my memories. 
That's hilarious. All what right. Who is the best player that never got to play in the NBA? Oh, that's an interesting one. Well, curveball. Wow. You got to d- dig deep for this one. <clears throat> it's interesting now with how many the European leagues, it seems like more of the Euros end up coming over. Now. You know, when I, when I was coaching in Europe, I forget the guy's name, but the kid from Brazil that could score Oscar. points. Oscar Schmidt. Schmidt, yeah. That was the guy that was written before. Uh, and Oscar Schmidt was with Sabonis and Kukoc yeah. and kind of that generation of player. Uh, but Oscar Schmidt in the, like the 80s or the, you know, took a beat be the USA team with a Brazilian team. I think he's from I think he's from Brazil, but that's a hard one. You'd have to give me a list. Is Oscar like Pistol Pete, like is that is that what it's like a shooter off the dribble, fancy, just kind of crafty? He was more of a big guy that could score okay. from the outside. Okay, he's my he wasn't six ten, but he was like six seven, six eight, thick, powerful, but also could handle and score from the outside. Did you ever? I mean, how much did you get to see Sabonis before he came to the NBA? Did you ever get to see him in the sure. prime? Kicked my butt a lot. In the okay, gym. so tell me about him because I—he's the guy that's like the man of mystery. He's almost like Wilt Chamberlain, where nobody seems to. Know I think I think they should do a special on Sabonis because Sabonis. People don't realize that Sabonis played a lot on the perimeter until he tore his. Uh, yeah. his I think he tore his Achilles up, and both knees, uh, both uh, both both legs, and. If you go and watch the 1988 Olympics when they beat the USA, he's a skinny kid. Yeah. He's a tall, skinny kid that could do everything on the basketball court, a little bit like Jokic, but maybe more more athletic than Jokic. 7'3 or 7'4, so he's even, you know, he's enormous. He, then he blew up and became this big, low-post yeah. center. They came and he came. I remember the story I, I tell is I have no idea why Bob Woodsick comes to and picks me out of Real Madrid to go coach the Seattle Sonics. But I know I spent two weeks before Woodson called me, I spent two days with Jerry Krause. And Jerry Krause asked me the two guys I would recommend to play in the NBA. And I said, Tony Kukoc and Sabonis. Wow. And, of course, Kukoc was Chicago's property. And then when I, when I left to go back to Seattle, the first thing I told the president of Real Madrid, who I had to ask to get out of my contract, and he asked me, who who should we get to win a championship? I said, go get Sabonis. That's interesting. And Sabonis played for Real Madrid. He, by the way, that 88, that was the clean one. That wasn't the controversial one that came a decade before. But that one, I mean, it was older professionals against, you know, amateurs or whatever, but David Robinson was on that one, who I think is one of the most underrated centers of all time and one of the most underrated players of all time. And in that game, Robinson had a good game too, but Sabonis, I think his numbers in that game were something like 25 and 15. No. And I mean, he was dominant as well. Sabonis, I mean, I mean, someone should do a, a 60 minutes or a 30-30 on Sabonis yeah. and, because now you have the attachment to his son. Yeah. Because his son is a damn good player too, yeah. by the way. I, I mean, I know. Jokic you know, Light. I mean, he's. Uh, I love how I love how Indiana plays with him, even though he's maybe not a, a total, you know, a, a great, a top twenty player in the, in the NBA. But he's really, really talented. 
Yeah. Did we have one more killer? Was that it? Last one. Let's hear it. All right. Last one coming in from our guy, Yosef. Hey, Coach Carl, if you were coaching against Aiton in the series, how would you handle – how would you coach him in his matchup against Jokic on both sides of the ball? Not, so not against Aiton. If you were coaching Aiton, how would you advise him? I would try to get him easy baskets. i try to get him into the game by dunks and lobs. Yeah. I would – you know, my, my trick plays or my, 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 my plays that I, that I, I wouldn't want to give him the ball and make him feel like he had to make a good play. I'd want to make the game easier from early to try to get him enthusiastically committed to doing the other things of the game. Because his most important thing is, can he just make Jokic average or good? You don't want Jokic, you don't want the great Jokic. You want the, the, the good, do the good yeah. Jokic. Yeah. Tough to do, man, tough to do. Maybe impossible, I hope impossible. I want to see another dominant series from Jokic. I do agree, it's gonna be a lot harder, but. I, you said this last time. I'm going to say it this time. I just, my faith in him is at an all-time high. And, you know, with him, he, he by extension, the Nuggets as a team and organization. So um, that'll do it today, guys. We're going to be back as we always do. So if you don't know, we do these before the series. We preview them. And then we're going to catch up somewhere in the middle of this series after game three, after game four, somewhere. We'll have to see how it goes. We'll catch up and, and then give updated notes about what's happening and, and try to close it out. But, um, Coach, this was a good one. This was fun. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go, baby. Game tonight. We'll see everybody then.